This is the Wellness Puzzle Podcast with Andrew Jobling, author, speaker, educator, entrepreneur, and AFL player. Join Andrew as he continues his lifelong journey as a student of human behavior. This podcast will help you live your passion, explore your potential, step into your power, and embrace your possibilities. Your possibilities. Possibilities. Hello, this is Andrew Jobling. Welcome to the Wellness Puzzle Podcast for a joyful week. Clay Boatwright is my guest this week. An incredible conversation I've just had with him about happiness and about the fact that we get to choose it no matter the circumstances. And let me tell you, he's had circumstances which could quite easily have spiraled him into depression and negativity and resentment and bitterness, but he hasn't. He's chosen happiness, which is wonderful with twin girls born with a disability to losing his wife to cancer. He had an epiphany in the supermarket, in the hair care aisle, which sent him on a path of absolute joy and fulfillment. It's a wonderful conversation. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy my chat with Clay Boatwright. Clay, how are you? You know, Andrew, I am doing outstanding. How are you, you today? You should be outstanding because on your website, it says life is too important to be taken seriously. So I would expect nothing less than you being outstanding <laughs> and as am I. So good to see you. Good to see you as well. I appreciate your time today. No, mate, I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Wow. It's been a journey for you, hasn't it? Been interesting. Been an interesting trip. You know, I've been uniquely blessed with some rather extreme challenges and uh, it's, it's nice to be able to see on the other side of them the blessings and benefits that have come from them and then to, uh, to share it around and then to be able to or willing to make the choice to be happy no matter what your circumstances i know that's a big part of your message isn't it that is the core element of the message is that happiness is a choice happiness is not you know the byproduct of things that happen around us happiness is a conscious choice that we make in terms of how we choose to look at the world around us and our lives in general yeah, mate, we're going to challenge some people today. I know that because how many people go, well, I can't be happy because of this, or I can't be happy until this happens for a lot of people to right. say, no, no, you can actually be happy even within whatever's going on in your life. That's quite challenging for a lot of people, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, if life was easy, everybody'd be doing it, right? So it has some challenges, but we need to condition ourselves just like an athlete. You know, we need to condition ourselves to persevere through the pain and to know that there is a benefit to toning those muscles and developing those skills because the payoff is going to be on the other end. Yeah, absolutely. So you are currently in Texas, is that right? I am. I'm just north of Dallas in a city called Frisco. Frisco. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing it's hot there at the moment. Let's see. I think 104 degrees. That's not about right. Yeah. I don't know. You tell me. Well, as we're talking, it's mid-July in 2023, so it's smack bang in the middle of summer for Americans and smack bang in the middle of winter for Australians. So yeah. 104 degrees for you is around 40 degrees Celsius for us, which is hot. Right. That's not just hot. <laughs> that's smoking hot. Smoking hot, yeah. You know, when it first hits, you kind of go, ooh, you know, it's here. After a while, you get kind of conditioned to it. So, yeah. you know, the first few weeks, not that bad. You get a few more weeks into it, you get conditioned to it. Then after about two and a half months, you're like, okay, I'm done. Over turn, it. Turn, you're right. Turn off the oven. We're fully baked. Thank you We're very much. cooked. Anyway, right. that is what it is. We can't control the weather. So let's just choose to be happy anyway. Exactly. You know, there's this great thing called air conditioning, which comes in really handy in places like Texas. I'm sure yeah. it does. Now, Clay, you've just recently published a book. I did. Tell us a bit it's about called, your book. 
So it's called God's Plan, Our Circus. God's Plan, Our Circus. The subtitle is a little heavier. It's a family odyssey through autism, death, and reinvention. The autism being two of my three children have pretty severe autism and intellectual disabilities. Uh, The death is the passing of my wife. And then the reinvention is me. So it sounds like heavy topics, but there's a lot of humor in the book. There's a lot of faith. And as you can tell from the title, God's Plan, Our Circus, that my perspective has been as I mentioned, I've been blessed with some unique challenges, but how I have chosen to look at them and, and, and get through them has been a fascinating adventure. Yeah. So I share a lot of that along the way, and hopefully people can draw some parallels to their, yeah. their own challenges. That's awesome. I think challenges is nothing unique. Right. Every human being is challenged probably on a daily basis to some degree. Absolutely. But how we choose to respond to those challenges, I think that's what sets people apart. And I think that's going to be a really important part of our conversation today. And I do want to talk more about your story, if you're happy to do that, and some of Absolutely. these challenges. And I know there was a significant turning point for you, an aha mm-hmm. moment in the supermarket which we will right. talk about. What okay. aisle was it again? When it, it all it was, it was, uh, it was aisle nine, the hair care aisle. I don't know if that has any relevance on the story <laughs> at all. But you know, sometimes you something happens and you look around and go, "Well, all right." Wasn't expecting that to happen right here. I've had two significant moments in my life. One happened on a crazy Friday night when the whole family was going crazy, and then many years later, a few days after my wife had passed, I was at a supermarket and had an experience in the in the hair care aisle. That totally changed my perspective on life moving forward. All right. Well, we will talk more about that, mate. But interesting, why the hair treatment aisle? That's an interesting one. Maybe there's some analogy there between shampoo or some kind of hair treatment and, I don't know. Cleansing or... I wonder if maybe, I haven't thought about this before, but maybe, you know, people go into the hair care aisle for hair coloring or things to start anew. And maybe exactly. that was the point. Maybe it was kind of God saying, you know what? Well, you're going to start anew, and this is as good a place to, to launch it as it is. We're going to give you a new haircut on life. Your exactly. life, a new color. Well, there you go. So you can always find a meaning for anything if you want to. So, Clay, tell us what you're doing right now. Obviously, you've got a very strong, powerful, passionate message about helping people live with joy and live with happiness and choose to see the opportunity in adversity. What are you doing at the moment to get that message out to people? Obviously, you've got your book. What else are you doing? Right. So the the book came out in January. I'm working on a series of speaking opportunities. So to be able to go into different groups and share the story. And it's not really just, the book is just a mechanism. It's, It's not really about the book. It's really more about what's the underlying story in there. And there's a lot of parallels. My uh, situations, my various scenes and so on are are what they are. But I think there are parallels to other people to help folks realize that regardless of the challenge that you're in, there are ways to learn from that. There are ways to get inspired by that. And you can chart a new course for your life that you didn't even know you wanted or needed in that process. Again, uh, developing presentations to take into individual groups, exploring ways to work with companies, corporations who... uh, here in the States, I don't know if, if we're having it in other international areas where DE&I, diversity, equity, and inclusion is a yep. really big deal. Trying to reach out to uh, employees who have unique cultures or unique experiences, perhaps some who have gone through unique crises, yep. and kind of help penetrate that in some way. So uh, I'm blessed in that you know, for 35 years, I was a sales and marketing research kind of guy. That helped pay the bills. But then now I'm in a phase of life, I can be doing something very, very different than that. And I'm trying to take advantage of that the best way I can. That's an amazing example of faith. 
that is and the opportunities that God can present to us. You're doing stuff now that you probably never thought you would ever do, probably never thought you'd be able to write a book, probably never mm-hmm. thought you'd be doing this kind of stuff. And I know that's absolutely the same for me, the stuff I do now. The fact I'm an author and a speaker, I never planned that. The path just appeared and it was through adversity that opportunities arise and you follow those opportunities and before you know it, you're doing something that you love and it's your passion. I think there's a real message there around just letting go of the need to have the plan. I think everyone's got a plan. I must stick to this plan. Like I've got the education, I've got the degree, I've got to follow down that path. And for a lot of people, they end up miserable because they're not doing stuff that brings them joy. Whereas if they would just let themselves go with stuff that happens and challenges and just allow it, it's amazing where they might end up. No, that, that's very true. You're talking about, about plans. On the back cover of the book, interestingly enough, the first sentence says, you make plans and God laughs. So true. Um, so it, it plays off of that line. And a phrase I've often used is that God is a lot smarter than we are, and we need to get over it. We really do. We kind of need to get over the fact that God really is smarter than we are and will chart things for us or provide opportunities for us that we would not come up with on our own. And in fact, in many cases, we would run from if anybody had positioned them in the abstract. But instead, you know, God says, you know what, I've got something for you to do. And you may not like it, but it's going to be a good thing. And once we get into it and we realize, oh, this may be the passion I did not know I had before. Yeah. And again, those, those doors get open. And to your point, through adversity, is where a lot of great things happen. Quite often you'll read books or hear, hear speakers that talk about the successes in their lives. And then that's marvelous. That's great. I always want to know where were the challenges. Yeah. Tell me about the day that you thought the whole thing was going to crumble down. Yeah. You know, and how did you respond to that? Or what happened? Or what presented itself? To me, that's where the story of growth comes from. It doesn't come from, oh, the day the stock hit X amount or that all great things happen. Well, yeah, that's well, good. That's interesting, but that's not where the growth comes from. No, 100%. And you're right. And I'm exactly the same as you, Clay. I'm not so much interested in the success, but more interested in the journey to get there. Because for every gold medal that is won at an Olympic Games, there's a story of overcoming. With every great business success, there's a story of great business failure. With every invention, there's story of great failure. With every best-selling book, there's a story of a string of rejections and adversity. Mm-hmm. So- That's every story. No one gets to anywhere without falling and getting up and falling and getting up and falling and falling backwards and going backwards and being rejected and insulted and criticized and losing money and losing time and losing someone important and then getting up and going again and persistence and passion and purpose and joy gets people to where they want to be. Absolutely. That's how you do it. So, mate, let's have a quick break and we're going to get back into your story because you're now doing wonderful things and on purpose and loving life and impacting people all around the world. You've got a story, which we're going to talk about after a quick break. Be inspired, be engaged, get motivated and make real change in your life and the people around you. Andrew Jobling knows how to inspire. On stage, he's riveting and engaging. Andrew is helping audiences around the world live their best life. Book him for a face-to-face or an online event. Go to andrewjobling.com.au to find out more. So, Clay, you said you've got a marketing background, did you say? Marketing research background? 
My, my undergrad degree is in broadcast communications, of all things. And then I, I wanted to be a disc jockey when I was much younger, but then I realized that the talent opportunity ahead of me was pretty great in terms of, you know, I, I wasn't going to make any money. So I'm like, you know what, that ain't going to work. So I went back to a grad school, got a grad degree in marketing, and pretty soon found myself in marketing research, of all things. So, okay. What does that mean? What that means is for about 30 or 35 years, I worked for primarily food companies. So doing research to understand what products sold better and why. So how do you price a product? Where do you place it on the shelf? How often do you promote it? What types of shoppers buy this product versus okay. that product? Yep. And then create sales stories around it. So I okay. did that for 35 years. That's how I paid my bills. So for about 20 years, I had two full-time careers, the one that paid the bills and then the one that was the passion. Right. And I am blessed to know thousands of people, and 95% of the people I know have no idea what I did for a living. In fact, what I just shared with you is a level of depth I never share with anyone. Most people have no idea what I did for a living, but everybody knew what I did for free. And that was, as we'll get into in a moment, disability advocacy and uh, helping people who are more marginalized. And the inspiration and the passion that I never knew I had until God slapped me in the face with it. And I said, all right, that's where we're going. So that happened with the birth of twin girls. Is that correct? Yes. So I have three daughters. My oldest is now 26 years old and expecting my first grandchild next month. Congratulations. I have, uh, thank you. Thank you. And uh, I have 23-year-old identical twins named Paige and Mia. Blair is their big sister. Paige and Mia are the twins. And uh, they have extremely severe intellectual disabilities and autism. As for people who are familiar with that, me simply saying that doesn't really tell you anything. It's how it manifests itself. So they're 23 years old. They've never spoken. They need help with what we refer to in the, the disability world as all activities of daily living. So they need help with everything bathroom related. They need help getting dressed, getting undressed. They are mobile and they are able to feed themselves. So that's a good thing. But when it comes to pretty much anything else, they need uh, direct assistance. They can sit and uh, get on their iPads and find whatever favorite movie they want on Disney Plus or YouTube and scan to the exact point in that movie that they want to watch over and over again. But they would have no interest in using that same device to uh, type out a word or to communicate. So how way. do they communicate then? Primarily through gestures and just kind of grabbing you and pulling you uh, to what they need or showing you. One of the great learnings from Page Mia is that we get caught up in language. I just wrote a book for Pete's sake. You've written a book. you know. So language is important in our modern society. And what I've learned from Paige and Mia is a lot of the things that we consider important, if you take those away, your world doesn't crumble. They're to call it conveniences or things that we rely on. There's nothing wrong with them. But one of the great learnings of my children is the realization that life itself and, and having a fairly content life, and I think there's is, doesn't require a lot of stuff and doesn't necessarily require all the things that we necessarily want for ourselves or for our children. You can get by with a fairly basic level, which is an eye-opening experience. Yeah. So when, when they were born, we thought everything was fine. They were born seven weeks early, so a little bit premature, but we didn't think much about it. But almost right off the bat, development and growing was at a, a much slower rate than we had seen with our big sister and that we were seeing with other kids that are, that are the same age. For years, people said, well, you know, they're twins, and twins develop more slowly, or they were born premature. Even the doctors were saying that. Well, we noticed that we had challenges. They, they were not developing at the rate that we would have anticipated. And then we went to uh, their pediatrician for the 24-month well-baby visit. 
Okay, so you, you go in, they do the check, and they have this milestone checklist. It's a list of about 25 questions. You go through the questions and you check off, are they accomplishing these things? So my wife, Carol, had one child. I had the other twin. Check it off the list for the respective child we're holding. We get to the bottom and looked at each other and went, hmm, neither one of us has checked anything off the list. Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. They're like, well, this probably isn't good. So the, the pediatrician came in, looked at it and said, yeah, something's up. So he sent us to uh, Easter Seals, which does a lot of work with children and assessments. And they came back with the, the original diagnosis, which we now refer to as intellectual disabilities. Back in the day, 2002, it was referred to as a mental retardation, but we've changed the language on that. Mm. So it was uh, intellectual disabilities and, and autism is what, what came back. Now, at that point, we didn't really know what that meant. Because when kids are born, babies are born, disability or not, developmental disability or not, they all kind of look the same. The basic things are change me, feed me, I'm going to cry for a while, you know, that kind of stuff. It's not until they start growing and developing that you start seeing the gap widen between, say, my twins and traditionally developing children. So as time went on, you know, those that gap became broader and became more challenging. Mm, okay. Obviously, God had a plan for you to really start to right. advocate and work with what creating awareness or support for intellectual disability. And is that when that started? So I've had two major pivotal moments uh, in my life. And the, and the first one happened uh, two years after their diagnosis. So they were about four years old. It was a Friday night at home. I remember it clearly. Paige and Mia were four years old. They were having some behavioral meltdowns, crying kind of uncontrollably. Cannot get that under control. Blair, their big sister, she was very upset because her sisters were upset. Their mom was frustrated, mad. So the whole family is kind of in a crisis mode. So I did what any good father, husband would do when their family's in a crisis mode. I went to bed. You know, smart, and I'm like, you know smart what? Smart move. Just hey, bury you know your what? head under the pillow. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, everyone is safe. Everyone's fine. Whatever it is, it'll be here tomorrow. Maybe they'll sleep it off. So I go to bed and uh, I'm laying there in bed. And uh, I'll be honest with you. I was mad at God. I really was. I'm laying there in bed and I'm hearing my children, you know, upstairs in the other room. And I'm mad at God. And I literally asked God, why did you do this to Paige and Mia? Why did you allow them to have these disabilities that at a level that we'd never seen before? And to be blunt, why'd you do this to me? This is not what I signed up for. Yeah. That was the question that was on my mind as I fell asleep. Was God, why did you do this? Now, yeah, I don't usually go to bed mad. A few times I do. It's it's like I'll wake up madder the next morning. I'll wake up madder than the night before. It's like the emotions marinate overnight. You know, it's like it kind of gels in there. Well, the next morning I woke up and Saturday morning, it was like waking up on a mountaintop on a bright spring day. I woke up full of energy, full of excitement, had fresh air in my lungs. I was ready to take on the world. And the very first words that entered my mind were to help people like Paige and Mia, which I immediately interpreted as to help people with severe disabilities. Yep. So at that time, I was doing that sales and marketing research thing that I shared about earlier. I was not involved in any community service at all. Farthest thing from my mind. As sure as you and I are having this conversation right now, 
there is no way I would have cooked that answer up on my own. And I know for a fact, I fell asleep asking God a question. Why did you do this? And he sent the Holy Spirit and answered it to help people with severe disabilities like my children have. So at that moment, two great things happened. Number one was, it happened. Number two was, I had the wherewithal to realize it. Because I'm sitting, I'm laying there in bed going, wow, this, the risk of sounding half crazy, God spoke to me. I mean, I had a revelation I would not have cooked up on my own. Yeah. So I thought, all right, well, action must be taken. So I didn't know what to do. So I got up and did what millions of people do every single day when they have questions they need answered. I Googled it. Go to Google. Right. I went to the family computer in the living room, sat down, typed four words. And again, I apologize for the 2004 vernacular. We have changed it since then. But the vernacular at the time, I typed mental retardation, Dallas, where I live, help. Mental retardation, Dallas, help. Enter. And up came an organization I had never heard of before called the Ark of Dallas. The Ark system in the United States is the oldest system of nonprofit organizations serving people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. I'd never heard of it before until that moment. So I look at their website, and I'm like, well, this looks like a group of people that help folks like Paige and Mia. Let's start there. So I'm going to compress about the next 18 years into 45 seconds. I um, reached out to them on Monday morning, found out that they were in need of some new uh, board member, got on their board of directors, became their next board president. Along the way, I'm learning the issues families face in addition to mine, but people have other issues, other challenges. I'm learning about what local services are and are not available. Pretty soon I got onto the state level organization down in Austin, the Ark of Texas, which does a lot of legislative work with our state legislature, working with senators and, and representatives and health and human services. I started learning how the system worked. And along the way, I'm I'm learning these things and I'm, I'm sharing them back with the, the families that, that I'm meeting. And, and serving on a variety of boards and committees to help craft maybe new policy. Eventually, President Obama appointed me to a presidential advisory committee in Washington, D.C. And for two years, I was able to serve on a policy committee to help craft some ideas and some things for, that needed to be considered at a national level. All the things that I just described, I was spending 30, 40 hours a week on those things, in addition to the 40 hours a week I was doing in the job that paid the bills but happy to do it. It was That's yeah. where my identity started to come from. Yeah, And, and I, I use that literally, and I mentioned a moment ago, I know thousands of people, nobody knows what I did for a living. My identity started coming from these activities that I was not paid for. And these were things that never would have happened. And I not being mad at God on a Friday night and asked him, why did you do this? Yeah. I hope this comes across humbly. It yeah, really it does. is to it look does. back at it yeah. and say, if I had tried to chart this, I'd have screwed it up. You know, there's no way it would have unfolded the way it did. And in my own family, as I was learning the system and learning what services were available and so on, you know, I was able to find things to benefit my own children at an earlier age than, say, other families do because they um, are caught up in the day-to-day -day challenges and, and didn't have the access or didn't know the questions to ask that I was learning as I was going along. And then, as I mentioned, trying to share with other families the various things that I would learn. Wow. That's an awesome story. Obviously, a couple of things there. And I think obviously that key one is ask the question, 
but be ready for the answer. You were obviously open to the answer that God gave you. I think that's important because there's one thing, why are you doing this to me? And for a lot of people, they stay in that space of bitterness and resentment rather than actually asking the question with a genuine desire to want an answer, which clearly you did. Otherwise, it wouldn't have come to you the next day. You wouldn't have woken up with that inspiration. I think there's a really strong message there. The other message that I'm getting through, you mentioned a lot about your identity came from this stuff that you were doing, not from your job, which I think is awesome. I think for a lot of people, when you can build an identity around giving and helping and supporting people in need, you'll never lose that identity. The problem with people who place their identity on their job or their career or their status or their financial situation or something external is they can actually lose it. And when people lose that thing they're sitting their identity on, they can come crashing to the ground. But you've started to build your identity on something that's rock solid, which is a character trait, a choice of how you want to live your life. And I think that's a really strong message. I appreciate that. Thank you. That's very kind. Uh, as you were describing that, uh, two things came to mind. One was uh, something that I just happened to see on Facebook recently. And, you know, <laughs> theology, according to Facebook, probably isn't the best sound thing in the world, but depends but, who writes it, Clay. That's right. Yeah. It's not Facebook, but, but it's the author. That's true. And also balanced with your, with our own experience and knowledge and so on. But the comment was made that a person's legacy are the lives he or she impacted along the way. 100%. And, and I'm like, okay, I'll buy that. Another thing that came to mind related to that is uh, my favorite Bible verse. My favorite Bible verse is kind of obscure. It's not one of the top 20 that most people put on their memorization list. It's 1 Peter 4.10. 1 Peter 4.10 goes this way. Each one should use the gifts he or she have been given to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And I love this verse because it's one of those verses that if you ignored everything else in the Bible and just did that, just put that one into play, how great things would be. So you take a second, if I can unpack it for a little bit, it starts off each one, that's everybody, got it, should do what? Each one should use the gifts he or she have been given, okay? Tells us that we all have gifts, and who yep. our gifts come from. Absolutely. Our gifts came from God. Use the gifts he or she have been given for what purpose? To serve others. That's pretty straightforward. Why? Because to serve others, to administer God's grace in its various forms. So what, what I get excited about that is the realization that all of us have gifts that were given to us by God, and when we're serving each others with the gifts he gave us, what we're really doing is bringing God to the people around us because we're using the gifts he gave us to do that. So we're kind of a, a surrogate in a way for whatever we're needing to, to serve them with the, the gift that he gave us. We're kind of his surrogate by bringing him to life in a practical, pragmatic way at that moment. That's pretty cool. That is that's, cool. That's a great, that's a very cool thing to do. And you don't need to be a preacher. You don't need to be a missionary. You can be a couple of guys on the opposite side of the planet, you know, having a, a conversation, you know, about, uh, about some goofy book, right? And every anybody can do that. Absolutely, Clay, that's so true. And whether or not you have a faith, a Christian faith or not, is irrelevant. I think the fact is you look at the people that are living the most meaningful and joyful lives, they're serving others. They're using their gift or their experiences or their talent or their inherent skills to help other people, which is amazing. So Clay, we might just have a quick break because there's been incredible conversation so far, but let's have a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll continue this wonderful conversation. 
Sounds great. Hi, this is Clay Boatwright. We all have experiences and challenges, but baggage and drama are optional, as happiness is a choice. I raised three daughters, including identical twins with severe disabilities, and later held my wife's head in my hands as she passed away in our bed. I have been in the sewer of sadness where you may be right now. My book, God's Plan, Our Circus, can help you laugh and rethink God's plan for your life. Please contact me at clayboatwright.com to learn more. Wow, Clay, what a wonderful conversation. And isn't it wonderful that you are able to find that, I guess, real purpose in life? It's nearly 20 years ago for you now. But my, my mid-30s. So mid-30s, you've been really able to follow that passion and mission and purpose that God has given you. And we all have. We all have mm-hmm. it. We've just got to find it. And you are open enough to be able to see it at that stage when your twin girls were at a very young age, which is awesome. So I know we could talk about this forever and ever. We don't have time to do that. What I do want to chat about is obviously there's another tragedy in your life. Tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about how that unfolded. And then we'll go into that moment of clarity that you had in the supermarket. Sure. So I mentioned my wife, Carol. A year after she and I got married, we uh, had moved from our hometown of Memphis to St. Louis, and she was uh, diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, which is a form of lymph node cancer. So she went through chemotherapy, was successful, survived it. Doctors suggested we wait a few years to have kids to get all the drugs out of her system. We did, and off we go. So we had some health issues early on in our marriage. I described our, our family and the Boatwright Circus that God allowed us to have and the, some of the advocacy work and so on. So you move the calendar ahead about 30 years, and we did, I think, every parent's dream. We got all the kids out of the house. So Blair, our oldest, went off to college and then had a full-time job in Nashville, Tennessee. Paige and Mia, through kind of my knowledge of the system and service providers, we were able to get a really nice group home set up for Paige and Mia, not far from ours, with a wonderful provider. So we were their guardians, but we didn't have to do the heavy lifting anymore, which was nice. Yep. So we became empty nesters. And my wife, Carol who had been at home for literally 20 years, decided to go back to work full-time, which was exciting. So it gives her a chance to do something different. So she goes back to work, and uh, six months after she went back to work, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And they did surgery, thought they got it all. Uh, They did not. Came back, and she went through 18 months of chemotherapy that uh, ultimately did not work, and and she passed away. I'm so, so sorry. Thank you. I appreciate that. So it was a um, certainly not what we signed up for, and certainly her. Clay, when was that that she passed? She passed away on February 11th, 2020, and that date's going to be significant here in a second. Yeah, February 11th, 2020. Think about the world at that time. She never heard the words COVID-19. She never heard of a pandemic. She died a month before our lives got totally turned upside down. So she passed away, and... You know, we were in the, the five-bedroom house we raised our kids in. I'm suddenly there by myself. Blair, our oldest daughter, had come back from Nashville for her, her mother's service. And three days later is Valentine's Day, February 14th. It was Valentine's Day. Blair and her boyfriend, who's now her husband, went out for Valentine's Day. And I uh, walk into a grocery store across the street from my house, and I am all sad and depressed. Carol wasn't just my best friend. She... I'll tell you, it was my only friend for all practical purposes. I had one friend, and she died. Yeah. And I'm walking into the grocery store. I'm like, well, now what do I do? I mean, life sucks. I shared some of the challenges with my family. We were excited about starting a new life. Carol's 
goes through chemo. She's passed away. And kind of like that Friday night. Why? I don't yeah, get again, it. Again, that question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm, woe is me, life sucks, blah, 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 blah. So I'm all downtrodden as I'm walking through the store. And then I finally find myself in the hair care aisle. Don't know why. You know, aisle nine. Don't know why that's relevant on why this happened. But all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, faster than you can spit, everything changed. My outlook changed. My perspective changed. Came very uplifting, very enthusiastic, similar to that Saturday morning I described earlier. And in the blink of an eye, I believe God revealed two things to me with absolute clarity. Number one, Carol was doing great. She was doing a lot better than the rest of us. She was experiencing what we Christians all aspire for. She was with God in heaven, out of pain, experiencing that for eternity. And I view it as God releasing me from having to mourn my wife because you don't mourn someone who's doing better than you are. Yeah, she's having a party okay? up there. She is. She's doing great. Yeah, I'm the one who's all sad and depressed, but she's doing great. Okay. So I don't have to mourn her anymore. And, and her faith took care of that. So first thing I had to do with her. Second, I had to do with me. And it was this. So I was 55 years old at the time. I'm, I'm 58 now. This is three years ago. I was 55 years old. I had been married for 30 years. Okay. I'm 55. Well, God willing, and I mean that literally, I may still have another 30 ahead of me. At least. Okay? Yeah. So from an adulthood standpoint, I'm only halfway there. All right. So it's opportunity. For the first time in my adult life, I had virtually no obligations and responsibilities. I was barely responsible for myself. Carol was in heaven. Blair was gainfully employed, living on her own. Nice, great group home set up for Paige and Mia with a staff who were taking care of them. I literally had no responsibilities. And I thought about that and go, well, heck, I can literally do whatever I want. That's not a bad place to be. Absolutely. How often do you find yourself in that? I'm like, that's not a bad place to be. Now, the million-dollar question is, what does God want me to do with that opportunity? Yeah. And, and, that, and that's still an open switch. You know, I, I think the book is part of that. I think having a great conversation with a guy named Andrew on a Wednesday night you know, is part of that equation. So it was a total perspective change. So standing there in the hair care aisle, I launched what I refer to as Clay 2.0. Love okay? it. So there's nothing wrong with the 1.0 version. It met its need, very traditional, raising the family, doing the suburban gig, career, all that stuff. But 2.0 was going to be very, very different because my circumstances were very different. There's a level of excitement yeah. attached to that. Okay. Yes. So when I started focusing on that and focusing on the opportunity and the excitement, all that sadness and woe is me and depression and life sucks and all that stuff, that just melted away. So that's another part of the story. Now, I described the, the book. It walks through the, the family odyssey of the autism and Carol's death, the reinvention being what I just described, the 2.0. There's a lot of humor in it. There's a lot of faith. The comic relief is the final chapter, which is dating in your mid-50s. Okay? <laughs> Last time I went on a first date was 1986. I was, what, 21 years old at the time, which means I didn't know anything. Next time I go on a first date, I'm 55. 
There's and you probably still don't know anything. Oh, no, yeah. Why would I have learned anything, right? <laughs> of course not. So I tell people at 55, I was dating with the dating acumen of a 17-year-old, right? So I didn't know anything. Dating apps, what the heck's that all about? You know, oh, there's a pandemic going on. Did I mention that? You know, so there's all this starting to click along. So I shared some of this at the end of the book and things I'm discovering dating now. And there's a conversation that I had with a woman, which was simple enough. But then when I wrote it, I looked back at it and said, you know what? This is really kind of the whole story in a, in a nutshell. This lady and I were having a conversation and she asked me about my story. So I shared the quick version. And when I was done, she said, well, Clay, you know, we all have experiences and challenges, baggage and drama. And I paused for a moment and I said, well, yes and no. We all have experiences and challenges. That's absolutely true. There's no way of getting around to that, particularly by the time you're my ripe old age. You definitely have experience and challenges. But baggage and drama are optional. Yeah. It's all in how you choose to look at it. And happiness is a choice. Love that. And that really has become the underpinning of my personal story. And that's also the theme. You asked me what I'm doing now. The theme of what I'm trying to take to different organizations is helping people realize that it is our conscious choice on how we choose to look at our situations. Do we want to get depressed by them or do we want to learn from them? Do we want to get invigorated by them? Do we want to look for the forward-thinking opportunities or would we rather be focused on the what's behind us and, and feeling sad? There's an adage which I use quite often. There's a reason in your car that your windshield is huge, but your rearview mirror is small. It's because what's in front of you is significantly important, more important than what's behind you. Yeah. Do you look at it periodically? Of course you do. Do you forget it? No. But you use that to help you get to your destination. Yeah. And um, that's really the, the core story that I want to leave with people. That's a great that, story. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Is Don't get sucked into the muck. Look for that invigoration. That's a tough one. And it's interesting. I had an experience recently. I went to a funeral. And you go to a funeral with the expected persona, somber and serious. It's a funeral. Someone's passed. And it was amazing. I walked into this funeral. It was a very small funeral with a small number of people. And to see the level of joy and happiness in that room was, for me, it was a little bit unsettling, to be honest. I don't think I'm mm -hmm. quite a positive person. Mm -hmm. To see the joy they had and the celebration of life that was that funeral rather than this somber depressing place they weren't focused on mm -hmm. what they'd lost they'd focused on the life that was lived mm -hmm. and i guess why i'm telling that story is because what you say is going to challenge people particularly people that are going through heartbreak or going through the grieving of the loss of someone to be able to choose happiness seems almost inappropriate but it's not, is it? I don't think it's no. ever inappropriate. I think you can be sad, but still joyful. You can be sad that you've lost something or you can be serious, but still happy. I don't think we need oh. to give away happiness just because things are challenging in our life. Oh, absolutely. And uh, in the situation I described earlier, while I, God released me from having to mourn Carol, and I was also at the same time getting excited for my own funeral, or my funeral, I'm sorry, getting excited for my own future, Get excited for your own funeral as well, there you mate, because that's going to be gonna a party. Miss, it absolutely will be a party. Yeah, you're invited. You know, there were tough times. You know, I called them sneak attacks. When uh, one of them happened at a little cafe Carol and I used to go to, I went in there a couple months after she passed and went in Saturday morning for breakfast, sat at our favorite table, like I had a million times and looked at the menu, which I had already memorized, but I put the menu down, looked up, 
and almost choked because every time I had looked across that table before, somebody was sitting there. Yeah. And now somebody wasn't. Yeah. So the sneak attacks would happen. But, you know, you're sharing your story. Thank you for sharing the story about going to that funeral and, and how it almost felt a little uneasy that people were excited or feeling the joy. As you were sharing that, the first thing that came to my mind was, wow, for people to be having that level of emotion, I would love to know what was the impact that the person who had passed, what impact did he have on their lives that would put them in a place that they would be kind of that upbeat? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I'm sure they were sad. I'm sure that whoever they respected their loss and then grieved for of that. Of course. But, but that was exactly what came to mind when you were sharing that. I'm like, well, wow, he must have had a legacy through those people that is pretty huge. And, and that's where his story is. I don't know this guy at all, said from what you just shared. But based on your observations, I'm going to guess that he has a pretty cool legacy that... He's got an incredible legacy, Clay. In fact, without wanting to go into a lot of detail, he had written 26 books that were never published. Really? And we Uh, were in the process. I was in the process of helping him at least get the first one published. So there's a legacy just sitting there waiting to bless the world. So... Mm, Wow. Incredible. Anyway, Clay, this has been an awesome conversation. So uplifting and inspiring. And you've really given me a lot to think about. And I know you've given my audience a lot to think about as well. Clay, if people want to buy your book or reach out to you in any way, how do they do that? Sure. So thank you. Again, the title of the book is God's Plan, Our Circus. It's available on Amazon. It's also available on barnesandnoble.com. You can go on my personal website, which is clayboatwright.com. C-L-A-Y-B-O-A-T-R-I-G-H-T. There's no W. Playboatright.com. You can purchase it there as well as learn a little bit more about my personal story. Also, you can contact me through the website. If people are having you know, unique issues or, or challenges, I'm not a professional therapist. I don't have a LPC degree or anything like that. Be it a, a family member with a disability or, or a loss or something like that. If someone hearing this story just wants to reach out and say, hey, Clay, can we chat a little bit? or maybe email back and forth. I'd be honored to. I would be absolutely honored to engage in that way. Awesome. Wonderful. Clay, incredible conversation. Thank you so much for sharing so openly and honestly and generously. And I know this podcast is going to be part of your legacy that you leave and will ripple around the world and impact lots of lives. So thank you so much. Thank you, Andrew. I truly appreciate this opportunity. It's great. And I and thank you so much, sir. You're welcome. What an incredible conversation and what a wonderful human being Clay Boatwright is. That story, that journey, certainly with his daughters, his twin girls and their challenges and then how he's used that to really have an impact on in the lives of many, many, many disabled people. Then losing his wife to cancer, what a heartbreaking event. But then just a few days later to have that epiphany that he now has an opportunity to really create clay 2.0. And wherever we're at, wherever you're at, wherever I'm at, we can always create ourselves 2.0 at any point if you're not happy with where you're at if you're hanging on to things that you don't need to hang on to let go create 2.0 and keep going and choose happiness because it's a beautiful place to be if you want to reach out to clay and find out more about his speaking find out more about his book order his book reach out to him and chat you can do that on his website clayboatright.com 
Thanks for being with me this week. Another wonderful week. Another powerful and important message that I hope you will share with as many people as possible and also invite you to join me again next week. My name is Andrew Jobling. This is the Wellness Puzzle Podcast. 